22. Okay, um, last week and, and over to this week and then the following Sunday, we've been considering our core values as a church body. If somebody says, what is Malvern Hill all about? Uh, I hope that you would respond that our goal is to love God, love others, and change the world. That's what we are all about. Uh, why are we all about that? Not because you have a pastor that is super creative and has come up with an incredible catchphrase, but because that's what Jesus was all about. When Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. He said, the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself, which we're going to talk about this week. And then before he left us on earth, before he ascended back to be with the Father, he gave the great commission, which is that we should go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So at the end of the day, our desire is to follow Jesus' instruction. Our desire is to be as much like Jesus as we can, and we spell that out using Jesus' words. We're going to love God, love others, and we are going to do our best to change the world. One person, one opportunity, one experience, one conversation at a time. This morning, we're going to be focusing on that second command that Jesus gave in Matthew chapter 22, that you are to love your neighbor as yourself. So if you would stand with me in honor of God's word, I'm going to read Matthew chapter 22, verse 34, all the way through verse 40, but we're only going to focus on that second command in here. But when the Pharisees heard that he, um, that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first commandment. Excuse me, this is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Let me pray for us, please. Father God, I pray that you would show us how it is that love of God and love of neighbor sum up the whole of your commandment and expectation for us. Show us how it is that through honoring these commitments, Lord God, we can bring glory to you. We can make our world a better place, Lord God. And Lord God, we can even enrich our own lives. I pray that you'd speak to us this morning. Lord, convict us of our sin. Lord God, this could be a feel-good message for many of us, but Father, if we're honest... Lord, we have to recognize that there have been many times when we've not loved you with our heart. We've certainly not loved our neighbor as ourselves because, Lord God, we have loved ourselves most. Lord God, show us our sin. Convict Convict us of our sin. But, Father, please, show us the majesty, the power, and the love of our Savior. May we hide in him. In Jesus' name, amen. What do you think of when you hear Jesus' command to love your neighbor? I would imagine that many of you jump to Mr. Rogers, right? Would you be my neighbor? For me, when I hear a neighbor, though, it's, it's a little strange. My mind quickly runs to images of Buzz and Woody or Butch and Sundance. See, when I hear neighbor, I immediately jump to friend. I don't know exactly why that is. I think of my brothers and high school teammates. I begin to hum James Taylor. When you're down and troubled and you need a helping hand and nothing, no, nothing is going right. I thought about singing that, but I just decided it was not a good idea. You've got a friend. What? Y'all want to hear? No, no, no. There is no peer pressure that could drive me to try and sing James Taylor while it's being recorded. 
You see what I do wrong there, though? My mind runs from neighbor to friend, but neighbors are not the same thing as friends. The Bible uses three different Greek words to describe love. And when we think of friends, that is more of a philos sort of love, to use a, a, a Greek word from the Scripture. That, that philos means a brotherly kind of love. Now, now, if you jump to study a philosophy of friendship, you'll discover that there's all sorts of debates in philosophical circles about whether or not the best word to describe friendship is philos or agape, uh, or, or even at what point is there like an eros love that's involved in friendship. I have zero desire to jump off into that this morning. I just want to really capture at least my experience of friendship as more of a brotherly kind of friendship. That person that comes alongside you, the person that you experience things with, the person that you share things with, the person, and this is actually, I love this definition of friends I came across. A friend is somebody you spend time with. Folks, this is why Facebook should not call you a Facebook friend, but a Facebook acquaintance. Because I have friends on Facebook that I don't know. Friends that I've never shared a meal with. Friends that I've never sat beside. They're not friends at all. They're acquaintances. They might even be neighbors. But a friend is someone that, what, sticks even closer than a brother, right? A friend is that person that you just can't get rid of. A friend is that person that you can't run off. Friendship is defined by a mutual kind of love. And I love friends. But Jesus didn't say, love your friends as yourself. He said, love your neighbor as yourself. The Greek word that that I would use and most people would use to describe friendship is philos. But but when Jesus commanded us to love our neighbors, he didn't urge us to philos, to sort of have a brotherly sort of affection. He said, agape. Now this is the same love command that God gives us when he says that we are, Jesus gave when he said we are to love the Lord our God. It's also, and it's, it's, it's best defined, as the kind of love that God displays towards us. An agape sort of love is a love that is not dependent upon the antecedent. In other words, the agape sort of love is not dependent upon the value in you so much as it is on the decision of the lover to extend that love. You understand? This is the kind of love that you would have toward a newborn child. Now, some people don't like the way I use that, but I just want us to look at children from a utilitarian perspective. We might be able to look down the, ro- down the road and say that kid is going to be valuable to the family at some point, but folks, when that child is born, they are of no utilitarian value. They have done nothing to earn your love, and for many years they won't do anything to earn your love. They will cost you money, they will cost you time, they will cost you resources, they will cost you in every conceivable way, and yet we continue to love them incredibly why because we've decided that they deserve our love that we've decided they're worthy of our love they've not earned it when the bible says that we are to love our neighbor as ourselves, he says it is an agape kind of love a love that we extend not because of who they are or what they've done a love that we extend because of who we are called to be And when Jesus was confronted with these Pharisees as to what it was that he should do, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And he says, you're supposed to love your neighbor in a similar way that you love the Lord. You're supposed to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Heard somebody say that the secret to a happy life is joy. Jesus first, 
others second and yourself last. And that's pretty much what Jesus recommends right here in this passage of Scripture. Now, when Jesus quoted this command of the Pharisees, here's what you need to know. This wasn't new. There's nothing new under the sun, right? This wasn't a new command, okay? Jesus didn't wow them with his wisdom because Jesus quoted almost directly from Leviticus chapter 19. This was a common practice among the Pharisees that they would just sit around and debate. They enjoyed this. What do you think is the most important command, right? This is like people sitting around and going, who do you think the, best, the greatest baseball player is of all time? That was their, their form of conversation. Some of y'all have those kind of fun conversations. Then there's me who has geeky conversations and doesn't even know when the Super Bowl is going to take place, right? Y'all are trying to figure out who the best quarterback is. I'm not even sure that the game's going to take place this year. The Pharisees were kind of geeky like that. They sat around and go, what do you think the greatest law of all is? And they go, I think it's this one. And somebody says, well, I think it's that one. Jesus settles the whole debate right here in one fell swoop. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbors yourself. And on these, all the law and the prophets hinge. They hang. They, 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 why? Because if you get love God right and you get love neighbor right, everything else falls into place. We look at the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. Those Ten Commandments fall up under the umbrella of love God and love neighbor. The first four commandments are about loving, your, loving God properly. The, six, the last six are about loving your neighbor properly and loving your neighbor well. Well, how do we do that? What's it look like? When we jump back to, to Leviticus 19, you can turn there if you want to, or you can just believe me. Leviticus 19, verses 9 through 18. Jesus quotes verse 18. But in verses 9 through 17, Moses under the direction of the Lord, actually gives us 20 specific commands for what it looks like to love your neighbor. I want you to listen to this list. Because when I say love your neighbor, that can sort of seem like a sort of an, an ethereal kind of concept. What does it mean? The Bible actually is very specific. And for the Pharisees who were asking Jesus this question, their mind would have immediately jumped back to Leviticus 19 and knew what Jesus meant. So listen, do not reap to the edge of your field. Do not gather the gleanings after you harvest. Do not strip your vineyard bare and do not gather fallen grapes. Why? This is so that the poor and the sojourner can be taken care of. They were supposed to leave the edges for the poor to come and get their fill. Pretty amazing. Oh, that's loving your neighbor, taking care of those around you. Next, do not steal, do not feel, deal falsely, and do not lie. Pretty self-explanatory. Do not oppress your neighbors. Do not rob your neighbor. Pay your employees on time. How about this one? Do not curse the deaf. Do not cause the blind to stumble. Jesus says that if you're going to love your neighbor well, you look out for those who can't look out for themselves. You don't take advantage of people just because you can. Do not oppress your neighbors. Do no injustice in court. Do not be partial to the poor or the rich. In other words, your situation in life, whether it be in poverty or in wealth, does not guarantee you does not guarantee you partiality in the courts. Do not slander. Speak the truth. Don't run down your neighbor. Do not stand up against the life of your neighbor. That means do not jeopardize your neighbor's life. Do not jeopardize your neighbor's life. That means, I mean, just I'm, I'm just gonna throw like a pretty concrete example out there. If you have a tree on your property that's like, you know. 10 feet from the property line, it's 200 feet tall, and it's leaning over your neighbor's house. You don't get to go cut it down and drop it on your neighbor's house, right? Just a thought. Not that anybody's ever done that. I'm just throwing it out there. Do not hate your brother in your heart. 
See, Jesus didn't create a whole lot, did he? In the Sermon on the Mount, he said, you've heard it say, do not murder. But I say, if you've hated your brother, you've already committed murder against him. What is Jesus doing? Jesus is looking at this legalistic group of scholars, and he's reminding them, all of the Old Testament law matters. All of it's wrapped up right here. You think you're good because you never murdered anybody. Have you hated? Did you neglect to love your neighbor? Reason frankly with your neighbor. What does that mean? That means be honest. Don't use words they can't understand or talk to them in ways that they can't wrap their brain around. I was talking with a guy just this week and he was explaining to me a business dealing. And, and he, was just, he was just talking to me about some opportunity that he has in front of him. And, and he was asking me just to pray. Uh, it's funny as a pastor, a lot of y'all come to me and say, I just, I just, you got any wisdom or advice for me on this? And I got absolutely no idea. Like he's talking to me about this business dealing. I had to have him de- explain and define half the words that he used because I didn't even know what he was talking about. He was speaking like Greek to me. Actually, I can speak, do some Greek. He must have been speaking like you know, Italian. I didn't know. I had to stop. I said, well, well explain that to me. We, I said, no, 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 explain that. What does that word mean? Well, you know, blah, blah. I said, no, 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 no. I need to know what that word means. Well, let me give you an example. Thank you very much. Once he gave me an example, I said, well, this all makes perfect sense. Folks, the same thing. That's part of the way we love our neighbor. You don't just talk over them or talk past them. You communicate with them in ways that they understand. That matters. So what if you've got an advanced degree and a vocabulary that will shame all of the men's of society? Can you communicate with your neighbor? That's what you do to love them well. Finally, do not take vengeance or bear a grudge. So your neighbor backed into your mailbox. Get over it. Get over it. Okay? Move on. Love of others is essential for healthy societies, and it's essential for our society, and it is not optional for Christians. It is not optional for Christians. Now, as we consider this outline that you have right there in your, in, your, in your bulletin this morning, I want us to walk through exactly how it is that some of these concrete ways that we love our neighbor apply in, three, in, in two places, and then we're going to look at the grounding for that in, our, in the command to love the Lord your God. Uh, first, we're going to talk about the loving your neighbors who are near. When I say near, I'm speaking primarily near relationally, Okay. Or, or perhaps near geographically. So we're going to talk primarily about loving our neighbors within the church, or loving our neighbors who are, who are relationally near to us. In, in the second point, we're going to talk about loving your neighbors who are far from you relationally. Okay, This doesn't necessarily mean loving your neighbors who are on the other side of the world. This means loving your neighbors who are on the other side of your worldview. Loving your neighbors who are on the other side of your experiences. Loving your neighbors who are on the other side of the tracks. And then finally, how it is that loving the Lord our God is the grounding for all of the love that we have. First this morning, I want to urge you to love your neighbors who are near. We are to love our neighbors who are near to us in relationship and in geography. Now, Jesus said as much when he looked at his disciples in John chapter 13. And he said, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. One of the reasons that when we um, crafted this this little statement of core values that we put love others and not just love neighbor or love one another is because we wanted to capture Jesus' commandment in both of these places that we would love our neighbor as ourselves and that we would love one another as he has loved us. We wanted to capture both in this phrase 
the responsibility that we have to love believers in the Lord and the responsibility that we have to love our neighbors who are outside of our fellowship and outside of our regular relationships. So the first thing this morning I want to urge you to do is love your neighbors who are near. Here in John, Jesus speaks to his disciples, and he again uses that same word, agape. Love one another at all costs. But his phrase draws a distinction between the disciples and those who are not the disciples. We are called to love all people, but there is a unique sort of love that is to exist between believers in Jesus Christ. And I would argue even more so between those who are believers in Jesus Christ and who are part of the same local church. That loving one another, loving those who are near relationally, experientially, and geographically, there, there should be a unique sort of love that Jesus said would draw those outside the church into the church. That those who are outside the church should be able to tell a difference in the way that those inside the church love one another. Folks, do you love the people who are part of your church body so much that people outside of the church would say, Man, what is it about that place and those people? You see, there should be a bond that exists between brothers and sisters in Christ that is so strong, that is so pure and lovely and wonderful that those who are outside the church should say, Man, I want some of that. I did a wedding some years back for a couple and uh, uh, the groom had come from a large family. The bride was an only child. And uh, actually, I, d- I didn't do the wedding. I, I did some, some counseling. I don't remember. Um, I was involved with a couple. The bride was an only child. The groom was from a large family. And I'll never forget, the bride said, I want to be a part of that. It's pretty, 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 pretty powerful. She said, I love so much of the interplay, the relation, the activity among the members of that family. I want to be a part of that. Listen, she had been around long enough to know that within that family there was still dysfunction, right? She'd probably been around long enough to know that moms can sometimes be overbearing, that siblings can sometimes get in the way, but all of that stuff paled in comparison to the joy that she saw in the relationships that were experienced, the love that was experienced in the relationships between Brothers and sisters and moms and dads, sisters-in-law and all, all, all the things. Folks, do you have, do you display, do you show? Because it's, it's, it's important. So James said, you, 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 show me, you tell me you have faith, I'm going to show you my faith. The same thing can be said about love. You tell me you have love. Do people see you loving your church family in such a way they go, man, I'd love to be a part of that. There's nothing... There's no greater turnoff for non-believers than to be exposed to a hate-filled church. There's no greater turnoff for non-believers than to be exposed to a divided church. Because if Christians can't find a way to love one another, which is Jesus' first command to them, well, last, I guess, on the way out the door, right? On the way to ascend to the Father. He says, "Go love." If Christians can't figure that out, then what in the world do they have to offer? Love one another. One of our greatest defenses for the Christian faith, one of our greatest evangelistic tools is the relationship that we have with one another. You say, well, Craig, that's not real evangelism. I I get it, 
right? Now, I didn't share the gospel with you because I invited you to church and you saw the way we loved each other. But I'm going to tell you something. I share the gospel with you. I bring you into the church and people welcome you with open arms. They see the way that you love and are loved. They experience that joy. They go, I want to be a part of what's all about that. Why? Because the church begins to look like Jesus. How are we to love as he loved? And when we love as he loves, people go, I want some of that love. See, people begin to get an understanding of God as more than a far-off being in the sky throwing lightning bolts at people that mess up, but instead they see God as a God who is love, a God who first loved. And because he first loved, we too can love in his name. Love one another, but love in action, not just in word. Love in word and in deed. Love one another. Let me ask you, how can you... Do more in the church than love in word. How can you love indeed? How can you make those in your church family more than neighbors? How could you perhaps make those within your church family friends? How might you move from only an agape kind of love that says, I love you because I'm supposed to, to a philos kind of love that says, I want to love you alongside me? What does that look like? We just mentioned life groups like 10 minutes ago. Listen, folks, there's no greater way for you to grow in a relationship at Malvern Hill Baptist Church than to get involved in a life group where you can walk side by side with somebody. Side note, bully pulpit, if you show up once every two weeks or once, once a month, you can't get upset because nobody is your friend in the church. You've got to be a friend to have one. A lot of times the easiest thing for me to do, me, Craig Thompson, you know what the easiest thing for me to do is to tell you how bad a job you're doing at whatever it is you're supposed to be doing. You know, the hardest thing for me to do is look in the mirror and question, how, how good of a job am I doing the things I'm supposed to be doing? Jesus didn't say experience love from the people around you. Jesus said you love. How have you loved? Worry about everybody else later. How have you loved? Have you loved expensively, exhaustively, and extensively? Have you? Have you loved to the point where it cost you something? It costs you some time. It costs you some pain. Folks, loving people is going to hurt you. Do you know that? That's the reason a lot of you don't, because you do know. You've been hurt. Can I tell you that there's pain in that offering, but oh, the joy that comes. Yes, you're going to love somebody that's going to let you down. Yes, you're going to love somebody that's going to disagree with you. Yes, you're going to love somebody that's going to walk away. But you know what? We still are commanded to love. Love your neighbors who are near. Folks, love your church family. Love brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. When you see them in a bad spot, arm them up. Come alongside them, grab them, pull them along with you. How can I pray with you? How can I walk with you? You know what a difference you might make in somebody's life by just taking them to lunch, going to get a cup of coffee. If you're a little uncomfortable going that far, do you know what a difference you can make in somebody's life by waking up in the morning praying for them and sending them a text message that says, I prayed for you today. There's one fellow in our church. I get a text from him almost every single week, okay? And a lot of you do this, but this guy, almost every single week, I get a text from him that says, I prayed for you and your family today. Is there anything specific I could pray for you about? Thrills my soul. Blesses my heart. You know? Useless or not, man, just the fact that you pray is all I need. How can you love somebody? Jesus says they will know that you're my disciples by your love for one another. Don't miss that. So our love for others is a love for neighbor. And we're going to say that in a minute. But it's a, it's a love not only for those neighbors who are far, but those neighbors who are near to us in relationship. Near to us in geographical experience. The neighbors who sit beside you on Sunday mornings. Okay? 
the neighbors who sit across the sanctuary from you, the, 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 the neighbors who visited for the last three Sundays and just need somebody to take them out to lunch and help them feel comfortable that maybe this is the place they can go. It won't be me, just so you know. Every time I take a visitor out to lunch after church, they never come back again. So if you're visiting with us and you wonder why I've never offered to take you somewhere because every time I did, they quit coming. So, like, I think I'm cursed. Uh, we have four kids. I assume that the kids scare them away. So I love you. I'm glad you've been coming, but I'll never take you to lunch because I'm afraid you won't come back and we need you. Y'all are laughing, but I'm telling the truth. It is so true. We did take a, a, a couple out to dinner one time, and they came back. So maybe we should try that. Maybe we do it differently. Love your neighbors who are near. Second, love your neighbors who are far. Now, again, I'm, I mean relationally. Don't just love. The command from Jesus is to love your neighbor. Not just those who are near and comfortable for you to love and those who are near and comfortable and, and, and are willing and, and anxious to receive your care and attention. Jesus said to love your neighbor as yourself. Who is your neighbor? Now, Jesus gave us a pretty good answer in Luke, didn't he? The parable of the Good Samaritan. The neighbor is anybody around us who is in need. The neighbor may be in a nursing home. The neighbor may be in foster care. The neighbor may be a nurse. The neighbor may be the guy who empties your, your, your trash can on Wednesday mornings. The person in need. The neighbor might be the guy that you pass by in the grocery store line. You just needed a, a word of encouragement. The neighbor may be the teacher in your child's classroom who's going through a divorce. We don't know, but we know that when we encounter them, we've got an opportunity. Now, it's appropriate that we would have this sermon on loving others on Martin Luther King weekend, because as we look back on the civil rights struggle, it's obvious that even Christians in our country have not always loved as Christ would have us to love. Racism and all that it entails is probably the ugliest stain on our country and white churches upheld it for far too long. Instead of loving our neighbors, we judged people by the color of their skin instead of the content of their character. We deemed people unlovable because of the color of their skin. And listen, there are still people today, unfortunately maybe even some in this very building, who allow the color of skin to be a defining characteristic. And Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself, period. And if the church will begin doing the church's job of loving neighbors as ourselves, then perhaps we might be able to see the world turned upside down with the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. What difference could you make in your life if you loved those that others deemed unlovable? What difference might you make if you loved those who did not want to be loved by you? Huh? What difference might it make if you continue to pray for that person who didn't want to hear you pray? They might not hear you pray out loud. They might not want to stand there and listen to you share the gospel. What difference might you make in their life? You kept praying for them anyway. They didn't have to know, did they? But you loved them when they weren't looking. You loved them. You made a difference in their life. Love those who are near. Love our neighbor as ourselves. Now, listen, the biblical injunction here doesn't tell us that we've got to scour the globe looking for people in need of help. Instead, we're to pay attention to those, whom we, those we encounter whom we may be able to help. What does it look like? What does it look like practically? We can look back to the list above, right? Jesus says, you know, we've got to care for the poor. We've got to make sure that we're not stealing from those around. We don't deal falsely. We don't lie. That we're not oppressive. 
If you're an employer, you make sure that you pay a fair wage and you do it on time. That you don't take advantage of those who can't care for themselves. That you don't do injustice in any place for any reason. That you don't jeopardize your neighbor's life. What is it like to not jeopardize your neighbor's life? Would, you, would it ever concern, can, appear? Ugh. Has it ever occurred to you that not jeopardizing your neighbor's life would mean things like not driving drunk or recklessly? You see? Like this love of neighbor is all-encompassing. This love of neighbor means that I'm going to do things that make sure that my neighbor is safe. That if I'm driving through a neighborhood where I know there are children that are going to play in that neighborhood, I'm not going to be irresponsible and drive 60 miles an hour. We used to have a car that would come through our old neighborhood running wide open. Scared me to death. Contacted the police a few times. Of course, they can't do anything unless they catch them. But because there were children played in our neighborhood regularly. This car would fly down the road, run the stop sign at the end of my road, and, and keep on going. And I just had this terrible fear that one of my kids would be... Because that person was putting my family in jeopardy. Folks, do you put your neighbors in jeopardy in the way that you live your life? Sure, you're free to do a lot of things, but folks, we don't allow our freedom, Paul says, to jeopardize other people. What does it look like to, live, to, to, to love practically? Care for people as you can, those people that you encounter. Don't neglect to do the good of those you can do good to, but, and don't neglect to show hospitality. Remember that one of the greatest health crises in our culture today is loneliness. Now, some of you want to roll your eyes at this. I want you to listen to me. People are lonely and isolated, and as a result are in danger physically, spiritually, and emotionally. Those people who are isolated right now, medical um, research is telling us that it is as or more dangerous than smoking. So there's a physical danger. There's a spiritual danger for those who are isolated because they're not hearing the gospel. They're not experiencing love of Jesus. There's an emotional danger. How can you impact the loneliness of those around you? By being neighborly, by honoring Christ and loving your neighbor. When we consider those who are far from us relationally, I think it means that we should be interested in foreign policy and immigration and hungry people on the other side of the globe. But folks, in all of that that should matter, we can't ignore those who are near us geographically but far from us relationally. What I mean by that is I can't neglect to care for the neighbor that is right beside me in honor of all the other people. Does that make sense? I don't get to just go, well, I went and shared the gospel in Haiti last year, so I ain't got to worry about that guy right there, right? What, what, what are you going to do about the people who are near to you, those people that you encounter on a regular basis? Consider some practical ways that you can love people around you. Pray that God will give you a heart, for instance, for hospitality, which is one of the greatest ways that we can be neighborly, we can love our neighbor. Practice hospitality outside your home. Do small things like bake a cake and take it to your life group or hold doors for others in restaurants. Become front yard kind of people so that you can actually get to know the people around you, right? Now, some of you live out in the middle of nowhere and you, you don't know anybody around you because they're all half a mile away. But if you live in a neighborhood, folks, there's just no excuse for us not to have some kind of encounter with our neighbors. They need to know us and we need to know them. How else are we going to find out their story and tell them about Jesus? How? We discover that we've got a neighbor who's got grandchildren that need the church. They need it desperately. How would I know that unless I met them and had a conversation? Actually, I didn't. My wife and kids did. But how would we know unless that took place? You've got to be outside to do it. Start small. Maybe you're not comfortable inviting your whole neighborhood over to your house. That's fine. 
Maybe you're not comfortable loving them that way. Maybe you're a little more comfortable just going to that person who lives across the street and just shaking their hand and say, how can I pray for you today? Maybe you're just a little more comfortable looking at that elderly lady that lives beside you that needs her leaves gotten up. You just go do that because that's loving them in the name of Jesus. Develop an open-door policy at your own house. Invite people in. We want you to come in because we love you and we care. Okay? It's okay if there's laundry on your couch. There's laundry on their couch too. Everybody's got something in their house that isn't right, and nobody's going to come in there and judge you because your house isn't perfectly clean if when they walk in they experience the love of Christ being poured out from that place. Start where you are. You say, Craig, I don't know how to do this. Craig, I can't invite people to my house. Or Craig, I can't. Start where you are. It's okay. Can you start by loving the neighbors at your job? Can you start by loving the person that you see at the dry cleaner on a regular basis? Can you? And, and again, I don't mean loving them in your heart. I mean loving them out loud. Right? Can you start by loving them? By getting to know a little bit about them. Discovering if they have a particular need that you might be able to meet. Finding out if they have a desperate need for the gospel that you might share. I shared the gospel with a young woman the other week. Y'all, it was, it was a great encounter. It was wonderful. I wish I could tell you she came to the Lord. She didn't. Okay? But in a matter of, of, of less than 10 minutes, I shared the gospel with this young girl three times in three different ways. It was one of those God-ordained opportunities that was wonderful. But you know what she looked at me and she said, you know, that might be what I need. That might be what I need. I said, honey, it's what everybody needs. You need Jesus. But how did I get to do that? Because I just saw somebody standing off by themselves and I walked up and I engaged in a conversation. Is there anything I can pray for you about? Could I share this track with you? Listen, I gave her a track. I gave her a gospel of John. I gave her an invitation to the church, and I walked through the gospel in all three times. And you know what? She was happy to hear it. She, she listened the whole time. Me and this young girl have absolutely nothing in common. We don't look alike. We don't talk alike. We don't sound alike. We ain't from the same place. We got nothing in common except we both need Jesus. And God put me and her in a divine opportunity sort of place where I could share with her the love of Jesus Christ. Do you love your neighbor enough, neighbor enough to tell them about Jesus? Do you? Do you? Love your neighbors who are near. Love your neighbors who are far, who might not look like you, sound like you, talk like you, might not come from the same place as you. Folks, they deserve your love, period. Why? Because Jesus said so. You hear me? This isn't about Craig Thompson. Jesus said love them. What's your excuse? Then finally this morning, love your neighbors because God loves you. Now, if we run back to Deuteronomy chapter 19, do that actually. If you have your Bibles, turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 19. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It's the fifth book of the Bible, chapter 19, okay? Um, I'm sorry, I said Deuteronomy. It's Leviticus 19. I turned to Deuteronomy, and it wasn't there. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. It's the third book of the Bible, and it's chapter 19. Have I been saying Deuteronomy this whole time? I couldn't understand anybody, yes or no. No, okay, good. It's Leviticus chapter 19. Okay, watch. In 10 verses, so from 9 to 18, five times we see this phrase repeated. So look in verse 10. I am the Lord your God. Verse 12, I am the Lord. Verse uh, 14, I am the Lord. Verse uh, 16, I am the Lord. Verse 18, I am the Lord. 
in 10 verses related to loving your neighbor, God reminds the children of Israel five times who he is. Now, were they going to forget who he was? I mean, not, not mentally, right? But relationally, experientially, in a commitment sort of way. When the Bible, when God urges them to remember him, it's in a covenantal kind of remembrance. Remember means honor, do, obey. I am the Lord. That's God's covenant name. Why? Because our love of neighbor has to be rooted in more than feelings. Our love of neighbor is rooted in our love for and the absolute existence of God. God's existence is the grounding for all morality. There can be good and bad only because there is a God who exists and has established the rules. God says, love your neighbors because I'm watching. Okay? I mean, I mean just at the, at the end of the day, that's it. I am the Lord who delivered you out of Egypt, and because I am the Lord, I am your covenant God. Remember, when it says, I am the Lord, that's, he's giving his name there, his covenant name. Because of who I am, you listen to me. Y'all ever have this conversation with your kids? I, it's, it's one of my favorites. Sarcasm. It's one of my favorites, sort of. They say, but Judy's mom lets her y'all love that one isn't that great it's my favorite uh, are you judy but her no 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 no. i asked a question that requires a yes or no answer not an explanation okay and and just a side note women are bad husbands we can't win right here our wives see it coming and they they hammer us when we try to ask them hard questions they they ladies we know what y'all up to y'all read our minds and it's not fair. Y'all should stop that. But our, our children, but, but Judy's mom, but, but, but what about, what, am I Judy's dad? No, but, but, just that, no. Okay, well then Judy's mom can allow Judy to do whatever Judy does. That's between Judy and her mama. Whose child are you? I usually get silence, right? We get nothing. They're not, they're not bold enough to say, well, I'm Angela's, you, I'm, I'm mommy's child. They, they, they're smarter than that, at least. And then we get into this conversation of, I, I understand that other families make different sorts of decisions. But, you're my child. You're a Thompson. And as a Thompson, this is who we are and what we do. Your relationship with me determines your action in the world around you. As they get older, I urge them to remember who they are and whose they are. And there's a double entendre right there. They belong to Jesus and they are His. They are also mine. And they belong to me. You are my child. And I expect you to behave as such. The Lord looks down upon His children and He says, Love your neighbor as yourself. Oh, and by the way, I am the Lord. I am the reason you exist. There would be no children of Israel were it not for my redeeming hand who brought you out. You can love only because I first loved you. He gives his covenant name Yahweh. And when he's established a covenant, 
I'm so proud of the job that's, that our children's ministry is doing, by the way, because last Sunday around the kitchen table, my six-year-old explained to me what a covenant was. Folks, that is amazing. When he looks at me and he says, a covenant is a relationship of protection that somebody gives to somebody else. I say, whoa, where did that come from? God says, I am the Lord, and he gives his covenant name. And by giving his covenant name, he shares his position with them. I am your protector. I am your guard. I am your guide. And this is how you will live because you're part of my family. Love your neighbor because God loves you. We love our neighbors because God exists and he first loved us. Love your neighbor not as an exercise in futility, but an exercise in spiritual discipline and evangelism. Love your neighbor so that they may know the love of God. What's it look like to be a member of Malvern Hill Baptist Church? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love others. Love your neighbor. Love your brother and sister in Christ. And try to change the world. That's really where we end today. We end with this. God loves you. Period. You say, Craig, I thought we were talking about loving our neighbor. Listen, folks, once you figure out this whole God loves you thing, you've got a chance to get this whole figured out love your neighbor thing. Okay? When you get the God loves you thing figured out, when you understand how unlovable you are and how amazing he is to love you anyway, it's, it's pretty incredible when you consider that God would love us sinful as we are. When I realize that, then loving my neighbor who backed into my mailbox gets a little bit easier. You understand? Loving that person who slammed on brakes in front of me gets a little bit easier. Loving that person who almost hit me because they didn't turn on a blinker gets a little bit easier because I was once an enemy of God, and while I was yet a sinner, Christ died. Do you understand? Our love for neighbors rooted in God's love for us. We've we got to make sure we don't get that twisted around. It's not that our love for neighbors rooted in our love for God. Our love for neighbor is ultimately rooted in God's love for us. And when we can grasp the incredible love that he has bestowed upon us, when we can get that figured out, then we can begin to get this loving our neighbor thing figured out. So here's what I want to leave you this morning. God loves you and he wants you to experience his love and he wants others to experience his love through his people you are god's emissary god's missionary proclaiming the good news of the gospel but you're also god's hands and feet living out the love of jesus in the everyday experiences of life it's a privilege and an opportunity you've been adopted into his family given his name given his job given his access you belong to him I should say, if you belong to him. This morning, if you're here, some of you should honest and true, I'll be honest, some of you need to come and repent. Because some of you have experienced the love of God and you've been unwilling to show the love of God to the neighbors around you. Some of you have been prejudiced because of the race of others around you or the situation in life of others around you. And folks, that is a sin for which you should repent when you have categorized other people because of the amount of money they make or the place they live or the color of their skin. And you must repent. There's some of you, though, who have never experienced the love of Jesus Christ. And I want you to hear me today. 
no matter where you've been or what you've done, no matter how far and how fast you've run, no matter how deep your sin, God loves you. When God says love your neighbor, He's not calling for us to do something more than He's done. He's calling upon us to behave as He did, to love in spite of them. God loves you. This morning, if you've never experienced the love of Jesus Christ, can I tell you that today can be the day of your salvation? You need not spend the rest of your life separated from God as a result of your sin. You can live in relationship with Him. I'd love to talk to you about what that means and what that looks like. When we stand in just a moment and we sing, I'd invite you to come forward. Perhaps you want to come and pray. Perhaps today's the day the Lord finally breaks in you the sin of racism. Perhaps today is the day the Lord finally breaks through the hard heart. It breaks through the chains and the protections and the shields that you put up and He breaks through with the powerful, overwhelming, incredible love of God. He shows you the depths of your sin, but the greatness of the God who loves you. Would you come today and experience His forgiveness and be saved from your sin? Stand with me as we pray. Father God, as we sing in just a moment, Lord God, I pray, Father God, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, Lord, as we consider the the way that you have arrested death, Lord God, alone in our sorrow and, and alone in our sin, Lord God. Would you bring Jesus into our lives and set us free? In Jesus' name we pray.